belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for November 21st, 2021 is called Threat Level. The teacher is John Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. morning again. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, we're really glad you're listening. Joining with us here at Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. I started off by using an illustration of the fire danger threat sign. These signs are ubiquitous across the West. My travels over the past few years, it's been rare to see it anywhere below high. Most of the time it's extreme danger for things burning up. And like I said earlier, I think all of us have one of these signs on the inside of us. One of us have these threat level signs and the arrow is this way or that way. We've, we've even seen in our society this week the, the things that are justified by feeling threatened. Just the, the mere feeling of threatened engenders all kinds of responses, even taking another human life can be justified when we feel threatened. Well, we're at this point in Romans, our last week in our study of Romans, chapter 8, which is somewhat of the pinnacle of the entire book. We started reading at the end, and then we jumped to the front, and then we now we were back in the middle, and, and Romans 8 is is in a way where everything is summed up. And we talked about when we started the study how Romans, at least in Western theology, is kind of the pinnacle of theology for the Western church. Um, This was the book that Martin Luther was reading when he had his conversion experience. And probably more has been written on the book of Romans than any other single book in the Bible. And if Romans is the top of it, well, chapter 8 is the top of the top with that. What is Paul talking about? Well, one of the things he's talking about is our threat level. What are we scared of? What should we be scared of? What is the effect of that? Remember we talked about how Romans is a pastoral letter. It's written to a specific group of people at a specific time who are dealing with a specific issue of conflict. And a lot of that conflict is driven by misguided threat. They're scared, they're threatened by something that Paul is saying you should not be threatened by. And they're actually not paying attention to something else that he says, hey, if you want to pay attention, if you want to really be concerned about something, it's not that, but it's this over here. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look through this. We're going to see how this idea of participation or of being in Christ sets the threat level of our lives to absolute zero when it comes to the things that we're usually taught to fear. But how living out of being in Christ sets us free from the threats of the way things are and having to live from our own resources. And instead it reorients that, it reorients us to consider what is really threatening and allows us to face those things with confidence. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire chapter. It's Romans chapter 8. I encourage you to read along. 
And I'm going to stop a couple times and make some comments, and then we'll go. Um, as I read, it may sound like we're walking through a Hobby Lobby or a, or a Lifeway bookstore because there's going to be so many passages that are familiar that you may have seen on a t-shirt or a mug or some home decor sign with that. So um, try not to do that. <laughs> Let's try to listen to what it is and not maybe what we've been taught that it means. Starting with one of the greatest hits of Christian cliches. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the life-giving spirit in Jesus Christ has set y'all free from the law of sin and death. I'm reading from the Southern Edition of the Bible here. For God achieved what the law could not do because it was weakened through the flesh. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and concerning sin, his, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law may be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let's pause for a minute. Um, as I was thinking about this, I really didn't grow up. I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist, but the, the pastor we had was lean more to the academic song, side, and there wasn't a, lot, a whole lot of shouting, a whole lot of fire and brimstone preaching, but I've been exposed to that in the past. Anybody been to a real fire and brimstone with that? A lot of shouting. And I thought about how if when we think about a pastor shouting, it is usually associated with hell, with threat, right? Like they're going to shout to scare you to get you to make a response. And as I was reading this, I thought, I need to shout this! Not because... It's threatening or it's scary or it's about hell, but I need to shout it because this is what we really need to hear. Y'all, this is what we need to shout about. This is what we need to be proclaiming with everything that we have. There is no condemnation. Can I please get a for that? Thank you. But this is the stuff worth shouting about. This is the stuff worth sweating about. I wish I had a rag. I could wish my throw on my head and throw it in Sean's lap. Like, this is the stuff we ought to be losing our ever-living minds about. Is what is contained in this passage. In this book. Well, I heard it said one time, it's, it's an oversimplification, but I think it points to the truth that's given here. Every other religion in the world is due. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. And you'll be okay. God will be happy. You'll keep God from being happy. Every other religion is due. Christianity is done. The message of Christianity is not do this or don't do that. The message of Christianity is done. It's been done for you. It's already done with that. Well, let's go on. Uh, verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh have their outlook, and, and here it's interesting, we did this in our little table group study, looking at all the different ways that this has been translated. For those who have their outlook, that's the NET version, or have their mind, or are after, or live as human nature tells them, or think they can do it on their own, or are. they All these ways we look at its shape 
those who live according to the flesh, that way is shaped by the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things of the Spirit. For the outlook of the flesh is death. And I like this translation of outlook because it, it talks about where we're standing. Because the, the outlook or the position where we're standing when we're in the flesh is outside of Christ. So by just, just by the way things work, if I'm standing outside of Christ and I'm looking at things, my perspective, my point of view gives me one way of viewing things. I can only see things from there. But if I am in Christ, if I'm participating in Christ, then my, my point of view, my perspective is changed. I see things from a different perspective. I consider them in a different way. And that's what Paul is saying. It's, it's if you're outside of Christ, which he kind of sums up by saying in the flesh here. All that means is you're outside of the Spirit. You're outside of Christ. Then you're, you're naturally, of course you're going to see things. Of course you're going to understand. But if you're inside, if you're participating, if you're in Christ, then of course you're going to see things a different way. And he talks about it, he says, because the outlook of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor is it able to. It just can't see it, y'all. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, y'all, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, the person does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is your life because of righteousness. Moreover, if the Spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will also make your mortal bodies alive through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For we did not receive a spirit of slavery again, leading to fear. But we received a spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. If children, then heirs, namely heirs of God, and also fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. Now, this is how it becomes real. So if the first part is, is propositional truth, that truth it is. Whether we believe it or not, whether we know it or not, it, it is. There, we are not condemned, okay? That truth exists, period, full stop. Whether you feel it or don't feel it. Whether you believe it or don't believe it. Whether you live like it or you don't live like it. It does not change that truth. But here's the thing, right? Is <laughs> That's not really how it works for us. If everything that was just propositionally pr true just happened in our life, we wouldn't have any problems. But we are this complex people and complex individuals with free wills and histories and situations and context and things we're always rubbing up against each other and hurting one another and 
abandoning and helping and all these interactions that happen in life, right? And Phoebe, who's delivering this message, and Paul, who wrote the message, they know this, and that's why they talk about this, because this is how it becomes real to us. You see, this is our work. This is our work, is to stand in the place of the Spirit, see what we see from that perspective, and then live accordingly to it. And that's not easy because most of us, myself included, have spent most of our life standing in the place of the flesh. Even when we called ourselves Christians, even when I called myself a Christian, oftentimes I was standing in the place apart from God, viewing things for according to the flesh and making my actions, judge my judgments, everything based on that perspective. And so it's ingrained in us. We have these habits that we have to overcome, and this is our work. But we have to understand, it's not earning, it's learning. As we, as we live into this, we're not earning God's love. We're not earning justification. We're not earning being free from condemnation. All that's already been done. There's nothing left to earn. You already got the degree. You already got the paper. You've already walked. All right? You don't have to go back to class. In spite of that horrible nightmare that we all have, that we wake up and all of a sudden it's the middle of the semester, we haven't gone to class, we don't know where our books are, we don't know where the class right? That is from hell. <laughs> that nightmare is from hell. But it's kind of indicative of how we live our lives often, right? We've been set free, we've graduated, we've walked, we got the paper, but then we, we go back, we wake up and we're like, oh no, I've got a test Monday. <laughs> I haven't studied. And terror grips us. Our threat level just goes to red, right? So this process of doing this, it's not earning, it's learning. Learning to walk in the freedom of being forgiven, accepted, not condemned. Earning puts us on the outside, wanting us wanting to get in. Adoption puts us on the inside wanting to get out. That's why we live from this place of adoption. If we're earning, we're on the outside longing to get in. If we're adopted, we're on the inside longing to get out. We want everybody to experience that. We want to share this with everybody. Y'all, you're already in. Grace Church, you're already in. Sam, Laura, Matt, RJ, you're already in. Ellen, you're already in. Justin, Jennifer, you're in. Done. I can't, I can't add to that. There's nothing that I will ever say of here that will add anything more precious than that. You're in. Everything that we need. Peter, we're going to study Peter next year. and He writes this in one of his letters. He says, everything that you need for life and for godliness has been granted in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. It's one of the most astounding scriptures ever. We already have all of them. But again, right? Learning takes effort. Learning doesn't come naturally to some people. Or learning certain things. I think learning comes naturally, but learning certain things or ways of learning doesn't come certain things. And learning something as profound as this takes effort. 
And that's why Paul goes on. In, in Phoebe, as she's saying this, she goes, For I consider, it's verse 18, For I consider that our present suffering cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For creation was subject, subjected to futility, not willingly, but because, God, because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly await for it with endurance. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings and searches our hearts and knows the minds of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. And here, get ready for another cliche. This one will send it off the charts. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to God's purpose. Because those who God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, and that His Son would be the firstborn among many sisters and brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Now, right because we're so ingrained to think of this passage a certain way, we have to really pause and go, wait a minute, what is the context that this is being written in? Who is this being written to? And how, how, where is it being written? And again, this is written to a church that is at odds. This is at a church who is fighting against each other, who is condemning one another, who is judging one another. This is a church who is threatened. This is a church where both sides are looking at the threat level and going, it's extreme. The threat is extreme if, if those people get their way, if we have to do it their way. And the other side is doing the same thing. The, the church is threatened. It's an extreme threat if those people get power or their way of thinking infiltrates the church. That is who this verse is being written to. This is not some spiritual cliche you toss out to people who are going through bad stuff. Like, a, like some kind of spell or magic pill that's going to make it better. You, you don't just come up and spout this off to someone who's lost someone they love. Or who's lost a job or has a cancer diagnosis. That's not what this is. No, this is trusting. This is a sign of trust that in the midst of conflict, in the midst of trial, in the midst of asking questions, that God even is there reconciling people to people. This is not a get-out-of-suffering-free card. This is, this is, no, God is reconciling people to people, and you can be reconciled as well because of what God did. This is an incredible promise that leads us 
to lean in more to that, not seek to escape from it. It gives us courage not to run from those challenges, but to lean into them with the hope that they will be resolved. Not just to check out. Not to say I'm done, tossing the towel. No, this, this is the encouragement to lean in deeper to that, to stick to it longer. Look, Paul and Phoebe recognize that this isn't going to be easy. Not only do they recognize it for the Roman church, but for us too. Because we're still in the middle of this redemption project. Y'all, it's not done yet. Yes, the kingdom of God is here, but we talk about that kingdom of God, the ancient future kingdom coming. We're still in the middle of this redemption project. It hasn't been finished. We're still groaning with all creation. We're still waiting for the glorious appearance. Y'all, we have the assurance of what's been done, but we're still longing for what is yet to totally be completed with that. And how many of us like to wait? Anybody here? Yeah. Anybody like to wait? Anybody here just love to just keep yearning for something that isn't yet here that you desperately want so badly? And it's not. That's that's work to to stay in that space. Um, but it's worth it. That's the thing. I remember um, Emily and Luke when Jane was pregnant, first pregnant with Hope, our oldest daughter. I don't know how many, maybe y'all didn't get this, but I don't know how many people came to us and said, oh gosh, new parents, you're never going to get a hot meal again. I hope y'all aren't getting this. So, you know, you won't take a shower for weeks. You won't be able to go anywhere. You won't be able to do anything. Like your whole lives are going to be turned over. Now that you have kids, everything's going to change, right? And here's the thing, is they were right. They were right. I remember the first time Jane had a full night's sleep after having hope. It was six months, maybe, after we had hope. Well, so it was a long time after. And she woke up in the morning and she goes, I've been born again. <laughs> Everything they warned us about was true. Here's the thing. So what? It was like, so what? We've got, we've got this child. We have this baby who's worth every bit of that and ten times more. And so that's why I think Paul and Phoebe here, they can... They can talk about this stuff. They can say, hey, yeah, it's going to be hard, y'all. But don't miss looking at what it's worth and what we get. Don't miss that. And that's what they say, starting in verse 31. That is pretty much what they say from here on out. They go, what then shall we say about things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, he, did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? And again, when Phoebe was reading this letter, she would pause there. Who, who's going to do it, y'all? Who's going to bring the charge? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? 
Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? And who is interceding for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Pause. The answer is no. As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory through Him who loved us. And I would bring that into the present. He loves us and will always love us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor heavenly rulers nor things that are present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Period. End. Done. That's worth shouting about. That's worth getting excited about. That's worth giving up everything and saying, teach me God. That's worth learning how to live God. Right there. This chapter begins with no condemnation, ends with no separation. And in the middle, it's all things work together. In many ways, it is the pinnacle of all Christian theology. The summation of the teaching and the work of God that specifically is expressed in the life of Jesus Christ. Romans is a book about the best way to live in light of God's redemptive liberation and the moral transformation that should result. It's not some dry, systematic theology where we chop and choose and cut out part of the church and cut out those Christians because they don't believe the way we believe and they don't interpret this first. That is the worst thing you can do with this book. Now, oh, this is how to live the Christ life. And this is the promise that if we learn that way, all of the things that divide us right now will be It's about the inevitable conflict this creates, right? But also how it has been already overcome for us and how we can participate in that overcoming. It's about centering ourselves, not in us versus them, but centering all of us in Jesus. Even those people we don't agree with. Centering all of us in Christ Jesus, adopted, accepted, everything accounted for, and everything taken care of. Y'all, it's about readjusting our danger signs all together. See, when we're in the flesh, when we're outside of Christ, when we're not learning what it is to be the daughter or the son, the child of God, and we look out from that perspective, our danger sign looks at things and puts everything to an extreme level. We live in fear and we try to control that or anesthetize it. But when we are in Christ, when we participate, when we learn our adoption, we see those things. When we see all the things that we were scared about there, you know what? Those aren't things to be concerned about. You've heard me say it before many times. I, I love the quote. 
by the Scottish theologian John McMurray, who says the maxim of illusory religion runs, fear not, trust in God, and he will see that none of the things you fear will happen to you. That's false religion. It says that of real religion, on the contrary, is fear not. The things that you are afraid of are quite likely to happen to you. But they are nothing to be afraid of. Listen, bad stuff happens. We all know this. Bad stuff happens. Stuff comes at us that the world has taught us to fear as the thing that will kill us, overcome us, diminish us, condemn us. Those aren't the things we speak. They've been overcome. They've been overcome. They won't kill us. They don't condemn us. There is no condemnation. Those aren't the things to be scared of. The things to be scared of, there. and listen, we all need fear. The fear is, fear keeps us alive. I'm not saying don't be scared of anything. I'm just being scared. Just be scared of the right thing. Be scared of the things that keep you out from living into your adoption as a child. Be scared of the things that, live, that, that lead you to condemn other people. To build barriers and walls. Be scared of those things. Be scared that you're not going to learn fully what it is to be loved deeply, forever loved by God. Be scared that other people won't learn that. That's, that's why we... we like I said, we, we live from this place of invitation. We're constantly inviting other people because we want that for other people. You be scared. Be scared that there is a world out there that is doomed. Not in the hellfire and brimstone way, but in the actual real way in this world of living a life where all they see is from the place of the flesh. Where all they know is life apart from God. That's terrible. That scares me. That, that's, I don't want people to live that way. Especially people I love. Y'all, we no longer, those of us here, everyone listening to this, whether you're on the podcast or here in person, we no longer fear death, rejection, shame, punishment, hardship, accusation, shunning, or slander. We learn to rightfully fear that the love and grace, mercy and Jesus of Jesus, mercy and justice of Jesus will be missed. Missed by us and missed by others. We learn to rightfully fear that the kingdom of God is, which is here among us, will be covered up or convoluted. And then we'll waste our life living as if it wasn't real in here. And ask the worship team to come up. Um I, listen, I don't know much. I really don't. We've all heard the tired, tired cliche, but it is true. Like, the more we study, the less we know. I've spent almost all of my adult life studying this stuff. And I don't know much. But I do know this, at least I think I know it, that the single hardest thing for a human being to do is to let themselves be loved by God. Is to truly let ourselves be loved by God as God loves us. 
I don't know if there's anything harder. I don't know if there's anything more contrary to our flesh. We can't allow ourselves to be loved because everything's threatened. Everything's a danger outside of that. And so we have to practice this. We have to learn it. We literally have to practice letting ourselves be loved by God. One of the ways we do that is by taking communion. I think, I think that's why Jesus gave it to us. He said, do this regularly, y'all. Like, remember me. Because when we remember Jesus, we remember that, hey, who we are. We remember, yeah, Jesus. We're in Jesus. He's the deal. He's the one. And then Jesus feeds us. Jesus literally serves us the meal and is the meal. It's, it's metaphysical, I know. It's crazy, but it's the truth. Jesus serves us the meal and Jesus is the meal. Calling us back to learn what it is to live as daughters and sons, adopted in love, not condemned, not shunned, not shamed, but loved and accepted, wanted and adored. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.